0: Morning, everyone. It is so good to be able to share with you all again. I know how much this church, from being in it, loves the word. And that is what we're going to talk a lot about today. We'll be in chapter 4 of 1 John, verses 1 through 6. However, before we start, would you all please pray with me one more time? Holy Spirit, please watch over our congregation this morning. Please guide my words. Let them be grounded in your word alone, and let them be used by you and all of our hearts today. Give your people wisdom to discern good from wrong teaching, to trust wholly in you and your inspired word for the words of life. Change us into being more like you through your word for us in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. L. Frank Baum's masterpiece, The Wizard of Oz has been held as the original American fairy tale. It's also my grandmother's favorite movie. It was on TV. It was a must-see event for our family. The story is much beloved by others, too, obviously, and has inspired a lot of sayings that we use pretty commonly in our culture, like there's no place like home, which just kind of tells us how important the home is. We're not in Kansas anymore. tells us that it's a fish-out-of-water story. Uh, one that I use quite often at work, though, is the Wizard of Oz himself. You know, we'll quite often fake something before we try the real idea and invest the time and energy into that. Somebody's working behind the scenes to make it all happen. Well, the Wizard of Oz uh, is used that way because he's one of the most famous imposters in all of literary and movie history. He's pretending to be something he's not. He's, in the words of Baum, a humbug pretending to be a wizard. He's just a trickster fooling everyone in Oz that he is a great and powerful wizard. Dorothy and her companions even go on a quest for him to attain a reward, a quest to defeat the wicked witch of the West. They do everything that he asks them to do. However, his promises are pretty much empty. He's powerless to help them. They've done everything they were asked, but there's no real reward, just trinkets and broken promises. There's a lesson for us in the church in this. We will see imposters, false prophets, teachers of another gospel. They're going to try to lead us on a path to earn our own salvation in a variety of ways. All of these paths are fruitless. It's even worse in one way than the Wizard of Oz. Because if you follow these paths your whole life, the stakes are higher. There's no going to be no Glinda the Good Witch to hand you ruby slippers so that you can go home. In this situation, Dorothy doesn't get to go home. There is no salvation in anything besides trust in Jesus, the Christ, our Savior. We must discern and test each teacher, spirit, and teaching to ensure it is from God. The good news this morning, though, is that God, through John, gives us the way to be able to do this. So to give us a quick recap before we dive in, where we are in 1 John, this passage today, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, is sandwiched between two great discourses on love. We have the first, right before this, that's going to be talking a lot about our love for each other and what that looks like. And right after this, John spends a lot of time going into the love of God and its impacts on us and how it generates that love. But right here in the middle, he gives us a warning, a warning against false prophets. It almost seems out of place. Why is it there? Well, there was a major issue going on in the church in those days. John was dealing with heresy coming out from his own local church. The roots of Gnostic heresy uh, were going out into the rest of Asia from the church that John was at at Ephesus. While claiming to be Christians, they were preaching this early version of Gnosticism, which is the belief that Christ was not really fully man, but that the Christ descended on Jesus and then left Jesus on the cross to die. These people, from the context in 1 John as well, were not very loving, and they weren't very careful in their obedience to God. Much of what John is telling us throughout 1 John is so that both we can know that we're in the faith, but also so that we can identify when someone else is not. And in this case, he's very specifically talking about teachers. People that were going out and spreading Gnosticism among the other churches in Asia. John wants his readers to be ready for them and to see their works in contrast to the love that we should all have for each other. So this is our context for our passage today. Please pick up and read with me. Beloved, do not believe every spirit For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. From our text this morning, what I want you all to take away is is that we must actively discern good from false teaching. We must apply these tests from John, and we'll receive this morning. And you may be asking yourself, Ken, it says testing the spirits, how are you getting testing teaching from that? Well, John is speaking to the claim that these people are saying that they have the spirit, that they are speaking on God's behalf. This is connected by John whenever he says that many false prophets have gone out into the world. In that light, we're going to look at the first imperative that John gives us, that we must discern. Then we will look at how we should do that biblically. So why must we discern? Well, the super obvious and most important reason is that God commands us to. This is a biblical command. John tells us very directly in verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. He doesn't leave us there, however, whether because I said so. But he goes on continuing in verse one saying, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. There's that reference to these false teachers that have gone out of John's own church. He's warning others so that they are not deceived by this false gospel. God is making sure to, to know that we both know how we should test and how to test that someone else is preaching and sharing truly in his name. Alternatively, these are false prophets. Someone serving Satan knowingly or unknowingly while proclaiming they speak on the behalf of God. This is care that God is expressing for us through John today. He doesn't want us to be led astray by a bad shepherd. He wants us to trust in the good shepherd alone. And it's certainly true that false prophets are in the world today. Just think about the context. We are more exposed than ever before. John is referring to a world where there were no e-books. There was no internet. There were no televangelists. No internationally recognized self-help gurus or motivational speakers. There wasn't even a printing press. This is, in short, not the information age by any means. Yet... John is warning his readers in the first century to beware of these false prophets. Brothers and sisters, this warning that he gives is not less relevant close to 2,000 years later, but it is more relevant for us today. Our world is flooded with false teaching claiming to be Christianity. Universalism is rampant. I don't know how many times, and I'm sure you can all agree with me, that you've heard that all religions are the same, They're all good. We have modern-day philosophers that maybe even consider the idea of Christ or are open to him, but preach their own rules for life. We have a push from politicians to tie Christianity to either political party. We have heretical cults that deny the godhood of Jesus. We even have wolves in sheep's clothing in the church, claiming Christ but teaching another gospel, the health and wealth today gospel your best life now gospel, some version of just be a better person gospel. It is heartbreaking to hear the testimony of people that are caught up in this prosperity gospel. They're told that if they didn't get the healing or the results that they wanted, that they just didn't have enough faith. Even many books written by Christians today can veer off course. They attempt to give people tools to be a better person, to pursue their own personal holiness, but they're not built on the biblical basis of the gospel. Someone recently said the most dangerous place for a Christian today is in a Christian bookstore. There's certainly a lot of truth in that. It appears safe, looks safe, but many things there, many books, will lead you astray from the gospel to try to rely on yourself to be a better person. What all these teachings have in common is that there is no real reward waiting. It's going to be like the Wizard of Oz. You'll follow their advice. You'll follow their teaching. But there's nothing. Nothing except more false hope or do-it-better-next-time advice, admonitions to have just more faith, and you'll get what you want now, more empty promises. We have become susceptible as a society as we get flooded with this information. It can gradually change the culture and even the path of our thinking. We hold up having an open mind as a virtue in our society. We hear that truth is relative, so just accept everything. Treat it every, everything equally. That's how you're tolerant. John MacArthur says on this point, Today, It's considered noble for someone to say they have an open mind. But is it really virtuous to leave our thinking so exposed? We have doors in our homes to keep some things out and other things in. We open the doors at our discretion to make that distinction. A wise man guards his mind in the same way. Only a fool would leave his mind open to anything and everything. So let me put it this way. Would you anyone expect me, as a father or a husband, to just let anyone into our house? No questions asked. Would any of you wives want a husband like that? Would any of you husbands ever dream of just letting anyone into your house at any time? Let's make sure that we guard our minds the same way. It's another example. My dad was a fireman when I was growing up. He made sure that we knew what to do in the case of a fire. When exiting a building, you're looking for doors that are safe, that don't have fire behind them. My dad made sure we knew how to test for those, because that's your best chance for exit. If you open a door with a fire behind it, your chances go dramatically down of exiting alive. My dad helped me to develop a filter in that kind of emergency, John is admonishing us to do the same thing with something that is even more perilous than a fire. John wants us to improve our filters and keep false teaching out as it can imperil our very souls. Brothers and sisters, in short, it is dangerous to let anything in. This is why the Bible speaks so much on discernment. There is objective truth. Jesus himself gives us a parallel warning in Matthew seven fifteen. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There are many, many scripture references, family of God, that follow the same reason as first John. We're encouraged over and over again to be discerning in what we listen to, who we accept, who we read, who we follow. The world is a dangerous place for the Christian. It's full of false prophets. So our first point this morning is that we must be discerning. So how should we be discerning biblically? Well, that's our second point today. John is incredibly helpful as he does tell us how to test these spirits. How we should know what real objective truth is. This is not going to be for everything. Not saying whenever you crack out your, your history of the United States that you apply these same tests. The Bible doesn't speak on that. However, if we're talking about the most critical truth of all, how you can be redeemed, what real redemptive history is, then you must absolutely apply these tests to every teacher, every spirit. In verse 2, John says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So let's break that down because there's a lot packed into that statement. The confession is not Jesus alone. It is Jesus the Christ. This is the same title as Messiah, same word, the anointed one, the prophet, priest, and king that fulfills all of the prophecies, the priest that will redeem us with his own precious blood, And intercede forever before us before God. The prophet that will faithfully proclaim the word of God and all he says being the very word of God himself. And the king of kings that will reign for all eternity. John also says that he has come in the flesh. And there are two truths in that small statement that are incredibly important. Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus was fully man. He was a man so that he could live and die on our behalf. So he could be the new corporate head instead of Adam. The second statement is that he came. Martin Lloyd-Jones eloquently tells us the importance of the statement when he says, Jesus Christ is come. What a significant statement. Do you see what it implies? It suggests that he was before. He has come from somewhere. It could be said of no one else that he has come into this world and into this life. You and I are born, but he came. This is another example of Jesus's eternality. He didn't have a beginning. There was no birth. Instead, he came. This is Jesus as fully God. Fully gone so that he could be perfect. And that his precious blood would be of the worth to redeem us all. This is significant, brothers and sisters. In a short sentence, John has told us the gospel. We must believe in Jesus as the Messiah. We must believe that he's fully man. We must believe that he's fully God. John also tells us instructively what the gospel confession is not. In verse 3 he says... And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Essentially, any disagreement with this gospel confession of Jesus as the Christ, fully God, fully man, is an Antichrist confession. And against Christ teaching. Heresies all resurface in different forms throughout history. As someone once said, the canon of infidelity was closed about exactly the same time that this canon of scripture was closed. Effectively, there is no new heresy, just all recycled forms. So watch for them. They will deny the sufficiency of the sacrifice of our great high priest, like Roman Catholicism. They will say that there is a better prophet, like Islam. Say that Jesus will forgive you, even if you don't honor him as king, like the cheap grace gospel or deny that Jesus, the Christ, was fully man, like the Gnostics. Or deny that Jesus, uh, or deny Jesus's deity, like so-called mainline Christianity, that's everywhere. Close your mind to teachers like these. To books espousing ideas like this. To podcasts, to championing a gospel like that. To any way that these spirits come across. Because Jesus Christ The Messiah is the rock, the cornerstone of our faith. If we put anything else as a Christ in his place, then we have accepted another gospel, a false teaching. A great example of this in Scripture is when Paul is dealing with the Judaizers in the church of Galatia. The Judaizers came into the congregation of Galatia, and they were adding works of the law to faith in Christ. Paul responds by telling the congregation that that's another gospel, a false gospel. And that even if he were to be the one to bring something like that among them, he should be a to eternity in hell. Paul tells them that this is another gospel because adding anything to Jesus is not trusting in him alone. Brothers and sisters, by that I don't mean that we can't fall into legalism. We certainly can Mistaking the pursuit of personal holiness for the real prize, which is adoption as a child of God. And I'm not saying that you don't have Christ if you do, but don't linger there. Don't accept teaching that pushes you to trust in your own works even in part. This is a teaching that is against Christ and against the gospel. Trust in the gospel and in Christ alone for your salvation. This is part of why the Lord has given us the church so we can support each other and encourage each other in the true gospel. If you're a member of this church, I know that elders have made sure that, you, that the gospel is your foundation in your confession. This is so that we can be sure that you're holding to the right gospel, and this is so that you can be sure that you're holding to the right gospel. If you're not a member here or at another church, I do encourage you strongly to join your local gospel preaching church. It will help you in so many ways that God has provided for, but especially in making sure that you hold fast to the gospel. God doesn't leave us alone either in this charge. We're not to do this on our own power. John encourages us in the middle of his charge warning to us. Right after that passage on the the false teaching, he says in verse 6, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Because God resides in us, we have the power to test these spirits, to test these teachers, to discern truth from error. You can examine the teaching of anyone and know if they teach truth or error. Know the gospel and trust in the Holy Spirit of God within you. John, however, goes on and gives us more help. He tells us in verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So what does John mean by listening to us? Is he saying anyone in charge at your local church or the people that were right there with him that day? Is he telling you to look to the Pope or some other church authority? No. John is telling you to refer to the apostles themselves, to those that speak on God's behalf. Brothers and sisters, this is an act of call that we should also look to consistency with the Bible, to consistency with the teachings of the prophets and the apostles. This is God's revealed word. What a time we live in. We get to see it all and have his complete revelation right here. He has spoken to us through the apostles and the prophets throughout redemptive history to give us the Bible we hold today. If Christ is our cornerstone, then biblically the apostles and the prophets are the foundation. We must be prepared to test any teaching against the Bible. And that means you must know your Bible. All of Scripture points to Jesus and has him as its cornerstone. Jesus himself points this out on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. In Luke twenty four twenty seven, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. So every true teacher must submit themselves to biblical authority. In contrast, false teachers will compromise with the world. The world has adopted a materialistic worldview. The temptation is high to compromise, and we see it everywhere. Maybe I can get a bigger audience if I focus on wealth today and not eternal destiny. If I avoid calling homosexuality a sin, if I don't claim Jesus, As the only way. This compromised teaching not only rejects or omits Christ, but it also contradicts the Bible. Don't accept someone as an authority that teaches inconsistently with the Bible. Some teachers may give the right gospel when pressed, but fail this test of biblical teaching. Joel Olstein and Joyce Meyer are popular examples of this kind of teacher. There's a lot of unbiblical teaching in the prosperity and word of faith churches. Positive thinking is held up as a key to unlocking your best life now. God will reward you if you name it and claim it. If you don't receive, it's because you don't have enough faith. All of this has no basis in Scripture. Worldly wisdom, instead, is held up as the standard in those churches, it is used to attract audiences. John says in verse 5 of our text, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We should compare new teachings this way, certainly. Examine the, the preachers of today, teachers of today, authors of today. But this is part of why we should mind the great history of the church. There's... Gospel writing from 2,000 years that we can look at throughout the history of the church. These older books, we can check and see how they've been received throughout history. Have these been people that have been long understood to be building on the gospel confession, on the apostolic foundation? Have they been accepted for long times? Are they people that our elders would point to and affirm? There are plenty that we can look through in church history like John Calvin, John Owen, Martin Luther, Charles Spurgeon, Augustine, John Bunyan, just to name a few. However, every one of these you still must test, each saying against the same foundation. Where they disagree, you must recognize that everybody has some errors in what they they say, but they won't steer you away from the gospel, even if there are issues on lesser points. Even so, I would call Union Church to read from these godly men throughout church history. It's not a mandate by any means, but I think everyone would benefit from reading books like Pilgrim's Progress, Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Owen's On Temptation, from virtually of any Spurgeon sermons. You will see a new perspective on the same historical truths of the gospel, of Jesus as the Christ, of the truth of the Bible. Family of God, we need to take these tests extremely seriously, especially in our church. It was roughly two years ago, we covenanted to become a sending church, a church that plants new preachers here in Maine. And this is a mission that is sorely needed. Maine is the least church station, uh, least church state in the entire nation. However, when we bring in a new intern, We've got to make sure together that they preach the true gospel. That they confess Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come in the flesh. While holding to the Bible as the complete revelation of God. Because we are accountable for who we send out. Look at the care John has that Gnostic teachers have gone out from his church. He is making sure that every church in the area knows to watch out for them and reject them. 1 John, like the other New Testament epistles, were circulated amongst the early church. John expected the church as a whole to know, to watch for them, and to be on guard against teachings like this. We need to take the same kind of care as we send men out into Maine to preach the gospel. We need to make sure that they are following after God's heart and preach the true gospel. That's the qualification. It's not the education. It's not their work history or how they look or their voice. It's simply do they preach the gospel and the Bible faithfully. That's the test John gives us. There are lots of other considerations after that. But they all come far after the gospel. Additionally, we have a responsibility to ensure that any elder in this church does the same. If they drift, we must call them out in love. Any candidating elder, we must scrutinize. Steve Philbrook doesn't get a pass because we know him and love him. Because he's kind, because he's generous. Church, when he writes his theological paper... We must read it and inspect it and compare it against the gospel and against the Bible. We must make sure that he's proclaiming the true Jesus. If it's not, we have a duty to reject him as an elder and teach him in love. And family of God, well, I hope we can all sit under Blake's preaching until the day of the Lord. It is likely that some of us will have to move one day and choose a new church. When that day comes for you, don't choose a new church because the music is wonderful. Don't choose a new church because it has a beautiful building like ours does. Don't choose a church because of how big the congregation is or how few the congregation is. Choose and stay because the true gospel is preached there. And it will be hard when those times come. You will have to discern. Brothers and sisters, you will need to look critically at any elder or preacher or teacher or pastor that you sit under. Claiming a denomination or title is not enough. It is not sufficient. It is not the test that John and God give us today. It all comes down to who you think Jesus is. If you confess that he is the Christ, the Son of God, And if you believe that all of scripture is inspired without error and points to him. Brothers and sisters, I call on you to know the gospel. Be ready to share and defend your faith. Be ready to discern false gospels from the true one. Don't go on fool's errands for the Wizard of Oz. Know that you are already hidden in Christ and it depends on him alone. Even more, know your Bible and read it frequently. Endeavor to devote much time over the course of your life to it. You will benefit and grow tremendously in your faith. However, I want you to know that it is not easy. And that it is easy to fail in your reading plans. Don't make it a new law. However, whenever you find that you have not read, do the right thing. Pick up your Bible, open it, and read. Further, when possible, know your church history. And read books from giants of our faith. Apply the word of God to your lives through their teaching. Even more, test every teaching, every spirit against the gospel, against the Bible. Trust God that he has given you all that you need to discern true from false gospels. Brothers and sisters, you must use it all to discern true and false teaching in your lives. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, please renew our hearts and minds through your word and spirit. Help us to be able to hold fast to the true gospel. Give us minds that are guarded well against false teachers and spirits. Protect us with your good grace. And give us a will to continually know more of you, Lord, so that we are ready each time we are tested.